friends, if you have a Bible, if you'd please grab it and turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. <clears throat> Back in October, some of you may remember, we were in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. We were in the middle of chapter 5, and I jumped over to chapter 6 to preach on the very famous passage that says that where your treasure is, there also is your heart. And I talked then about this funny Greek word, Thesaros, which is the word for treasure. And I said that the word treasure actually meant more than just your finances. It meant everything that you use for the, your identity. It was the totality of who you are, who you think you are. Where you place your identity, there is your heart. And I said back then that whether you are poor or whether you are rich, we all tend to place our identity in things that are other than the one true God. And we're going to come back to this passage, and Avery's going to read it for us in just a minute. And then we're going to keep reading down through the rest of Matthew chapter 6, where we see Jesus takes us from our treasures, immediately moves us into a topic of anxiety. Now, either way, whether you feel anxious about your finances because you are poor, however you want to define that, or you are rich, again, however you want to define it. Anxiety is one of the chief obstacles from keeping you from being generous. These last two weeks, now this third week, we're talking about the nature of giving in the Christian life. And Jesus knows that one of the main reasons why you are not more generous is because of your anxiety about your finances. So if you would, would you please give your attention to Avery now as she comes and reads it for us. Matthew six nineteen through 34. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, and yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. 
This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, would you take your holy word and would you change our hearts by it? Thank you for it. It is precious. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to divide soul from spirit and joint from marrow. Use it now, Father, to lead us into arrest and into repentance because of the finished work of your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. Honey, it was on again. The red check engine light. Last week I was driving the car, and no matter how I drove it, it just seemed to come on intermittently, and then it would come off again, oftentimes as soon as I wanted to show Lauren. And then she would drive the car, and then there it would be. The check engine light would come on, and then when she'd want to show me, then it would shut off. And I have spent over the last several months, we've spent a lot of money on trying to get that blasted check engine light off of our car. And you know what I'm talking about. When you come to this passage in Matthew chapter 6, it's almost as though Jesus raises awareness of the check engine light that is on for you and me incessantly when it comes to us thinking about our finances, namely our anxiety about money. Now, there's really no need for me to elaborate anymore on this point because every one of us can relate to this because when oil plummets the way it has, okay, it's fun to have cheap gas for a while and then it gets serious and everybody gets a little nervous in Oklahoma because the oil industry and the oil prices affect everyone. And we tend to get anxious about money. And Jesus, fully God and fully man, knows the human experience. Of course he does because he's human. And he knew that after he showed at the beginning of chapter 6 of Matthew the three cardinal disciplines of Christians, namely giving, prayer, and fasting, Jesus then goes back to giving, beginning at verse 19. And then he camps out on the chief obstacle for why you and I are not more generous. Listen, last week, if you were here, it was a great sermon. Bo preached. It was fantastic. If you, didn't, if you weren't here, go listen to it online. But Bo gave us four principles for your giving. He said the amount matters. You determine the amount. We give according to our ability, and the heart is what makes the gift count. And you can know that God owns a cattle on a thousand hills, and you can be confident that, yes, all four of those principles are true. But the truth of the matter is, you and I are anxious people. And oftentimes, it's our anxiety about our finances that prohibit us from being generous as God calls us to be generous. So we're going to spend a few moments this morning talking about how you overcome your anxiety over money. Sound good? I'm just going to give you three very practical principles, and then I'm going to give you some homework. Look out. Are you ready? Let's look at the text together. See the therefore in verse 25. Look down at your text in verse 25. Whenever you see a therefore in Scripture, you always need to ask yourself, what is the therefore? 
therefore, yes. And the therefore is there because Jesus is connecting this whole topic of anxiety back to the treasures of our heart. And the reason why the treasure of our heart is not him, it's oftentimes our possession or money, is because we are anxious people. And he addresses this major obstacle through these verses. And what I love about this passage is that Jesus could have just said, listen, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Period. Move on. Because remember, he's talking to the disciples within hearing range of the Pharisees, telling these disciples, do not be hypocrites just like those Pharisees. Listen, guys, do not be hypocritical. Do not do things so that other people see you. Whether you do them in private or whether you do good things that other people see, you do them for the Father's glory. You do not do them so that you will earn a name and a reputation and thereby find your worth and your merit. But, disciples, Jesus says, listen, there is a hair's breadth of difference between a hypocrite and an anxious person. Why? Because an anxious person does not throw himself onto his heavenly father. An anxious person throws himself, just like the hypocrite, onto his own self-saving strategies to get life. So Jesus wants the disciples, he wants to cut them, and he wants to cut me, and he wants to cut you, to say, okay, so your hypocrisy may be under control, but your anxiety isn't, and they're flip sides of the same coin. Both of them work for their own salvation, for their own self-preservation, for their own kingdom, and not for mine. So what does Jesus tell us to do? Well, he says, do not be anxious about your life. And then right after that, he gives us a principle that you and I can follow. Jesus says, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Now, I don't know about you, but oftentimes when I'm anxious, I don't really know why I'm anxious. I just get anxious. And part of your growth in the Christian life is being able to know yourself better and to know why you get anxious. So the first principle you see out of Matthew chapter 6 is that you have to list out your cares. That's principle number one. How do you fight your anxiety over money? You first need to list out your cares. Listen, a lot of you have been anxious about money for a long time. But have you ever written out why you're anxious? Like, when things are in a stagnant pool, mosquitoes go crazy and it begins to stink. Your anxieties are the same way. Until you're able to get those out on paper sometimes, you're never able to be cleansed from it. Writing them out is such a simple thing to do, but man, it is so much more powerful than you think. Write out your cares. List them out. Jesus does that for the disciples. He says, listen, what you will eat, what you will drink, what you will wear, like, he gets specific. So should you. List your cares. 
And when you list your cares, you're able to back off and look at them objectively in such a way that you separate yourself from them. They're on the page. You can see them. And that's the first step toward you being able to share them with somebody else, which is what you need to do. Because the nature of anxiety teaches us, tells us the lie that we are alone. There's a counselor named David Pallison who gives a very, very helpful definition of anxiety. And he's been extremely helpful to me. Even these, the points of this sermon come largely from the counseling I've received from him and others about my own anxiety. And Pallison says, anxiety, anxiety is that which makes you feel alone, that the world is too big for you, and too dark and too confusing and you cannot fix it. Anxiety is that phenomenon that makes you feel alone, like the world is too big for you, it's too dark, it's too confusing and you cannot fix it. The nature of anxiety is that it first of all makes you feel isolated. And the way to fight that isolation is actually to write out why you feel alone. I feel alone because I don't know how I'm going to make ends meet here or what I'm going to do when that happens. Write them out. That's not novel. That's exactly what Jesus says. And then he gives an argument, Jesus does, from the lesser to the greater. And he says, I want you to look at the birds of the air. The little birds. Listen, the birds of the air, they neither sow, uh, sow nor weep nor gather into barns. They don't plan. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And why are you anxious about your clothing? Jesus goes on. Consider the lilies of the field how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you that Solomon in all of his glory, the glory of the temple and Solomon's presence, Solomon was not even clothed like one of these lilies of the field which is here today and it's gone tomorrow. Oh friends, your heavenly Father knows what you need. This passage is calling us toward anti-selfishness. It's calling us to think less about the cares that we have and more about the provision that the Father has given us. And the way that you're able to do that, first of all, is that you list out those cares. Simple enough? One helpful exercise to do that to begin with, if you're like me, you don't know where to start, right? Some of you aren't anxious about money, and that's great. That's great. I'm so thankful that that's the case for you, right? You can leave. because there's very few of us that that's the case. Don't leave, I'm just kidding. But start the exercise like this. Say, I need blank. What is it that you need? I want blank. List out what you want. Can be many things. I don't want blank. I need blank. I want blank. I don't want blank. That exercise is very helpful to get you thinking about what it is 
that weighs you down, the anxieties of your heart. List your cares. Secondly, listen to the God who cares. Jesus says that God cares in this passage. Well, of course he cares. No, no, no. He cares about you. In fact, God cares more about the mundane things than you do, probably, because he values the mundane in ways that you don't. Every time that, the fa- that God is referred to in this passage by Jesus, do you know what Jesus says he is to be called? Your father. What does that have to do with this passage? It has everything to do with this passage. Because Jesus says he's not just God to you, some transcendental deistic God. He is your heavenly daddy. He knows what you need. And you are to go to him just like you would go to your earthly father if you have a great relationship with your earthly father and you want him to know what's going on in your life. Your father wants to hear from you. And he knows you intimately. Your father knows what you need. And you can call him your father because you have an elder brother, Jesus, whose reputation you have before your heavenly father. So there is no need to be fearful or apprehensive about going before him. Because when he looks at you, he looks at you with the eyes of a doting father over his precious son. And he says, yes, my child, what do you need? I want to hear it. And most of us are going, hmm, nope. My problems about my 401k are just too big for you, God. My issues are too big. When you list out those cares and you're able to see them, you see that they're finite. They may be three or five or ten things, but you're able to see them and you see they have an end. And you're able to go to your father to listen to the God who cares because he does care. Listen, he cares about what you will eat. He cares about your tummy and your threads. He cares about where you will live and he cares about how you will dress. He cares about these things. In fact, there are few things like the mundane that help you actually appropriate the gospel in your lives. There's a man um, named Frederick Dale Bruner who wrote a very good commentary on Matthew. I'm just going to read a very small portion of it to help us understand what I mean by the mundane. Few things, both serious disciples as much as a distraction that keeps them from matters that few things distract serious disciples as much as the distractions that keep them from the matters that really count. In these daily troubles, Jesus here calls evil in the subjective sense. Discipleship learns sooner or later, however, that it can pursue God's kingdom and righteousness right in the middle of these daily evils. The last verse in verse um, 2034, it says, sufficient for the day is its own evil. Kakia in Greek, trouble in your English standard version. He's saying, listen, in the midst of these daily troubles, this is where the magic happens. 
brushing a child's hair, grading students' papers, going to committee meetings, entertaining unexpected visitors, and doing a thousand of other earthly things that seem to distract from more important things and from the one thing needful can all be forms of kingdom seeking and righteousness doing when seen in faith. When Jesus tells us that enough for today are today's own problems, he means that it will be by mastering these daily gremlins. By mastering these daily gremlins, we learn to be disciples. For grading students' papers thoughtfully while it takes teachers away from writing and reading helps students considerably. Parents brushing children's hair, though it takes them from more elevated tasks for the moment, may be one of the few chances parents and children have to touch each other that day. These troubles, these evils, may be sufficient in very unexpected and beautiful ways. Listen, God cares about your mundane, and he cares about all of it. List your cares and listen to the God who cares. Those are the principles that we begin to see emerge from this text. And then thirdly, let your father turn those cares into fuel for your contentment. Now, I know that sounds very preachy to say something like that. But you know in, ba- in the great w- cinematic, fantastic movie of the 20th century, Back to the Future. You know when they had the banana peel and he sticks the banana peel in the flux capacitor and it gives the car energy? Like that's a beautiful metaphor for taking my cares and your cares and how the Holy Spirit uses that to help us be content. Like the verse in Hebrews 13, keep your lives free of the love of money and be content with what you have. It seems like a pipe dream. But then it says, for God says, never will I leave you or forsake you. If you are gonna learn how to be content, we have to allow the Father to take our cares and move them into contentment. And how does this happen? It happens by recognizing what you care about, getting them out on the page, and listening to the God who cares. In Psalm 94, there is a passage that says, though my cares weigh me down, your consolations cheer my soul. The passage that Stephanie read for us earlier in Philippians 4, it tells us, don't be anxious about anything, but by prayer and supplication, present your requests to God. Prayer just means talking to God, asking for things, and supplication Those are two very theological, spiritual-sounding terms. Prayer just means asking God for things. Supplication means really asking God for things. And we are to cast our cares on Him. One of the reasons why we have a hard time turning our cares into contentment or allowing God to do that is because Matthew chapter 6 really doesn't do it for us. We read this passage. We know God cares about all these things. He compares us to the birds, to the lilies. Thank you. Thank you. We still feel anxious. And then for me, it's other passages like Philippians 4 or even more in like 1 Peter 5 or in 1 Peter 5, 6 and 7. It says, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. But you know what it says right before that? It says, humble yourselves in the Lord, and in due time, he will lift you up. 
The reason why anxiety and hypocrisy are so close together, they are kissing cousins, is because we are not humble people. And if you're going to allow God to change your cares into contentment, you have to first humble yourself. And the only way you can humble yourself sometimes is because of your circumstances, because you cannot, on your own initiative, bow the knee to Christ. And the Lord uses sometimes our very surprising and difficult circumstances to humble us so that we will begin to honestly pray 1 Peter 5, 7 to 8. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be self-controlled and alert because your enemy the devil prowls around looking for whom he may devour. That passage for me is much more helpful when I use it in conjunction with Matthew chapter 6 than if I just read Matthew chapter 6 alone because my problem is my pride and the way that I get through my hypocrisy and through my anxiety is my by a Lord humbling me. And let me just talk just very practically about being humbled for a second. For those of you who are anxious about finances and money, friends, many of you cannot um, grow out of that anxiety unless you bring others into the problem. Now that is scary because there's nothing more personal to you than your money. And it's hard to talk about your financial needs. But you need to. Whether you talk to a counselor or a financial planner or to your pastor, it is helpful to get it out and to talk about it. Sometimes the reason why we struggle so much with anxiety is because we are living at our means. I said that right. Living at our means which means that when we get a raise, we get excited and we push our lifestyle right to the edge. And then we wonder why we can't be generous. Well, it's because you're living at your means. How can you be generous if you're doing that? We have to push against the grain of the culture and live below our means so that we're able to be able to freely give. That is so hard to do, especially in Owasso. It is hard, but you've got to fight it with everything you have. The other obstacle we have is not just the pressure to live at our means, but it's comparison. You have one relative, just, it just takes one, who is wealthier than you are, and boom, you're dead. Unless you're careful, because you begin to compare yourself to what they have. You have one wealthier friend, you begin to compare yourself to what they have. And that is a deadly vortex that leads nowhere good fast. You have to be able to say that out loud and confess that. Because if you're going to compare yourself to other people, friends, we only, as Will prayed earlier, we only have one objective comparison, and that is that whether you're rich or poor, you're black or white, Jesus is our righteousness. And in the church, it ought to be the one place where you can come. It ought to be the one place where the only place you can compare yourself to is the holiness of Jesus, and we all are broken sinners in comparison to him. Another reason why I think that a lot of us um, are anxious about money is, quite frankly, we have a heart arrhythmia. 
Sometimes the reason we're so anxious is because we have phys physiological reasons why we are anxious. I have a friend who had anxiety for years. He had no idea why he had anxiety. He could not figure it out. And he, every time he just felt his heart beat faster and faster and faster. And when his heart would beat faster, he'd grow more and more anxious. And he didn't know why his heart beat faster or why he was anxious, which made him more anxious. And it just kind of piled on. And then he did the amazing thing. He went to a doctor and he had a physical. And he discovered that he had a heart arrhythmia. And that physiologically, there were reasons why he felt more anxious because his body needed physiological help. Listen, some of you who feel anxious, it is good and right to be able to go to the doctor and to have regular physical checkups. I know this is church, we don't talk about, but sometimes that is the reason for our anxiety. You can't exclude that as a possibility. So it's not just that we live at our means, as many of us do, or that we compare. Sometimes we actually do have very physiological reasons why we feel anxious. And we need to be aware of that and be willing to talk about that. If Jesus is going to take your cares and move them into contentment, you have to realize that every dollar you have is not yours. It is Jesus's. And you are a fiduciary, which means you spend his money in accordance with his principles, not your own. He has given it to you to be stewards of. Think what a blessing we could be to this city, even our small church, a young church, if we viewed our money as the Lord's and we were able to spend it in ways that he called us to spend it for the sake of others. You list your cares. You listen to the God who cares. You let your heavenly Father who knows you take your cares and turn them into contentment. Jesus says in verse 31, O you of little faith, therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Everything he knows you need. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. The only way we're able to allow our cares to be turned to contentment is if you look not to your own self-saving strategies, but you are humbled by the fact that Jesus Christ, who was rich beyond belief, became poor for you so that you and your poverty might become rich. Dorothy Sayers wrote, for whatever reason God chose to make man as he is, limited and suffering and subject to sorrow and death, he had the honesty and decency and courage to take his own medicine. Whatever game he is playing with his creation, he has kept his own rules and he has played fair. He can exact nothing from man that he has not exacted from himself. He has himself gone through the whole of human experience from the trivial irritations of family life and the cramping restrictions of hard work and lack of money to the worst horrors of pain and humiliation, defeat, despair, and death. When he was a man, he played the man. He was born in poverty and died in disgrace and thought it was well worthwhile. You know why? Because he loves you. And he loves you. And he loves you.
And friends, the way that we begin as a church to know ourselves better, both corporately and individually, is we're able to list our cares and we're able to listen to the God who really does care. And we're able to let God burst forth into our life. The gospel sings in the mundane. And then we're able to find our cares turned to contentment because Jesus knows exactly what you're going through and is with you. And he whispers over you right now, I love you. And though that red engine light is on, it tells you that you're anxious. It doesn't tell you why. Jesus says, I'm with you. And you are not alone. And I love you. And the way that you begin to seek first his righteousness is you begin to take your eyes off of yourself and you begin to live and pray and think and give on behalf of others. If you're gonna be able to walk by faith, oh, you have little faith, means that you have to begin to take your eyes off of your anxieties, confess them to him, and begin to serve other people. And you'll find that in the service, your cares turn into rich and deep contentment. But it is not easy. And you need each other to do it. And that is why he calls us the church. Let me say one final word as your pastor. Some of us are experiencing very difficult financial difficulties. And even if we list our cares, even if we listen to the God who cares, listen, we are in real dire straits. And I want you to know that there are avenues for help. Some of you have family to fall back on. Some of you don't even think about your because you have family that are gonna catch you if you fall. Some of you don't have that. And it's scary. But do you know what God has given you? He who has given up house or father or mother will have many more in this life, Jesus says, in this life and in the life to come because he gives you his church. And we are your family. And the church exists to help each other out when we are in real dire straits. So the way to do that at our church is you, first of all, you tell your community group, hey, I would like to talk to the deacons about financial assistance. You tell your community group leader that. If you can't tell your community group leader that or you're not in a community group, then you tell the Mercy team, which is led by Brandon Penner and Ryan Carini, mercy at trinityowasso.com, just say, hey guys, can I talk with you? And they would love to talk with you about your financial needs. We want to be a church that gives generously. That doesn't just talk about it, but that helps each other out when we need it. So that God doesn't always give us families that catch us when we fall. Sometimes he gives us something even more beautiful than that. He gives us his people. And the reason why we can enjoy having those conversations together is because we are all broken sinners in the sight of Jesus. We are covered in his righteousness and he sings over us his love so that we can see the birds and we can see the lilies and we can say, oh, Father, thank you that though I am less than that as a broken sinner, you have made me more beautiful and freer than they because you are with me and you clothe me in the righteousness of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And as we prepare for the supper this morning, would you come humbly listing your cares before him, listening to the God who cares, seeing that check engine light on your dash and saying, Holy Father, draw near to me in the midst of my anxiety over money. Can we do that as a church together? It takes all of us to do it. And it's not easy. But it's beautiful. Let's pray. Father, help us. Oh, our God, help us. We are weak. We are anxious. But we are your children. And we thank you that you sing over us, that you love us, that you know every anxiety of our hearts even before we think or feel it. And we pray, Father, that you will help us to therefore not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. But help us to be content with the troubles of the day, looking to you, relying on you, and resting in your righteousness so that our anxiety will be fuel for our contentment. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.